0: This podcast is sponsored by Eco Physiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the show. I'm super excited for this episode as we will be discussing uh, running and pelvic floor dysfunction. My guest today is Dr. Amanda Olson. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is definitely a topic I know I personally would like to learn more about. As uh, you know, we're, I'm helping women think about getting back to running, but I'm not, I'm going to be honest, I I'm not a runner, so this is not you know this is not 100% my forte. So I'm really excited to learn from you, uh, as well as I'm sure others are as well. So thanks for taking the time. Absolutely, it's my pleasure. So maybe I thought the best place for us to start is, um, can you tell us a little bit um, about you um, and kind of, you know, what got you, uh, you know, interested in sort of pelvic floor and running? So kind of, let's do a little intro.
1: Absolutely. How did I merge my two favorite things in life outside of my little boys? Um, So I've been in clinical practice for 12 years Um, as a physical therapist. I've been doing public health for 11. I actually started my career as a pediatric neurospecialist working in a children's hospital and I had a really bad accident roughly six months into being a brand new PT fresh out of the doctorate program. Um, I, uh, I am not a thrill seeker, I am a runner, um, but I was out with uh, some young men who were indeed thrill seekers and we were out in a really uh, secluded area doing some cliff jumping, which is obviously <laughs> a very risky thing. Um, they had determined that there was a safe spot on the river and it was a 40 foot drop and somehow I chose to follow the boys off the edge of the cliff and at 40 feet I landed in the water in the seated position. So uh, a little note, apparently if you're jumping off a cliff, you're supposed to land with your feet straight <laughs> and enter the water like a pencil. I entered like an L and I essentially annihilated myself. I caused significant damage to um, my pelvis, my back, my legs. I mean, I am literally, I'm lucky. I'm not dead really. And truly, I'm lucky that my spinal cord is intact. I I'm fine, honestly. Um, but I was, significantly injured at that point. And I, um, as a physical therapist, uh, when I went to see my physician, when, when they pulled me out of the water and I made my way back into town, um, my physician recommended that I go see a pelvic colleague, a a pelvic PT, um, to help replace the coccyx, address all the considerable damage that I had done to my pelvic floor muscles, tendons, ligaments, um, my low back, all of that. And this person um, put me back together. I mean, she really, she changed my life. Um, I recovered completely. I had both of my boys vaginally. Uh, I walk, I run, I do whatever I want. Um, And at the end of the treatment, she said, Amanda, you need to quit pediatrics and do this. You have the right personality for it. There's not enough pelvic health therapists. Uh, you know, in the country at that time, 11 years ago, there was maybe a couple hundred in the US. I mean, it was, there was a huge need and we called it women's health, you know, and and they treated men, but we definitely called it women's health. And um, so I did, I was still working full time as a pediatric PT, but I started taking the coursework became certified, um, and then a couple years later launched a company um, of pelvic health devices where I create devices to help with pain and um, underactive pelvic floor issues like incontinence. Um, and then I wrote, um, I, I you know, I've always been a runner, and I ended up writing a two-day course on continuing education for therapists uh, regarding pelvic floor issues in runners, and it could be men, women, postpartum or not, you know, runners um, can have pelvic floor dysfunction and issues without having had a baby. So that's what I teach on. I was able to
0: merge all the things that I love. What an amazing journey to uh, to end up at this place. And it's, it's interesting sometimes, you know, uh, the most challenging times that we go through leads us to the most unexpected uh, growth and unexpected places Um, and uh, how wonderful that you were able to put those things together and having gone through um, the pelvic floor um, you know rehab yourself prior to learning you know i feel um, you know gives us a a a different light it gives us a personal experience to it that then we can um, share that with our with our clients um, you know sharing our personal you know, successes with the therapeutic uh, process. So let's, so we're going to do this podcast. So like we're focusing in on running. Um, So what, okay, I'm going to start with the question I get asked the most. Yeah. And I'd like to hear the experts answer on it, which is when is it safe to return to running after you've had a baby? You know, we have this sort of like, you know, it's been, what is it? Common knowledge. Like you should always wait six weeks. And like after six weeks, you know, women are getting the green lights from their physicians, like do whatever. Um, And obviously as pelvic floor physiotherapists, we know that that's not always Mm -hmm. the appropriate time to return and especially running because it's, you know, it's high impact. So how do you, how do you discuss that question with your clients?
1: Absolutely, It's like the million dollar question because they want to know when they can do it. And also they want to feel like they felt, (laughs) you know, before, before even getting pregnant and they want it right now. Um, And as a runner, I understand because I I've been there and running is so special to so many people because it's their thing. You know, it's, it's their form of self-care. It's their form of therapy, if you will. Um, It's the thing that brings them joy. And especially in a new mom, it's a really big coping tool. So it's like the, I, I understand the immediacy. Um, when we look at tissue healing and we look at the fact that any birth, whether it was a vaginal birth or a C-section, results in considerable changes and or injury, to the pelvic floor and the abdominals um, and then when you add a c-section compounding that with the fact that that is surgery (laughs) you know if that were any other procedure where they said we're going to go ahead and slice through four layers of abdominals you know it'd be no question but because it's birth and we kind of regard birth as this natural thing there's this thought that you know it's not a big deal and you can't drive for two weeks but after that you know do do what you will um and then we have this six week postpartum checkup where they're given the green light to have sex and do whatever they please and that tissue as we know is not done healing the structures are not um in a good place to be withstanding that kind of force oftentimes sex is painful and then when we think about the fact that with every running step they're experiencing roughly two and a half times their body weight up and into their body. The muscles don't have the timing, the coordination. They don't remember how to respond after being elongated during pregnancy. And then the changes that can happen to the nerves and the tissue during birth. And all of that sounds really horrific, Bodies heal, we're really resilient as people, Um, but it does take time. And so all of that's to say is um, we we had been operating under this guideline of let's just see how the patient is doing and start making some guesses. And then a year ago, some guidelines were actually published. They were published by three different physios, two of which were pelvic or women's health, and one which was um, a running physio from all over the world. They looked at the evidence on pelvic floor, they looked at the evidence on running. They combined that knowledge and what they found and what they're suggesting is that nobody should be running postpartum until roughly 12 weeks looking at tissue healing, looking at not only that, but preparing the pelvic floor, the the hips, the knees, the feet, all of those things that change in order to be ready. And so um, that 12-week mark they're regarding as there should be no high impact prior to that. And they're also saying this is still gray not everyone is going to fall into this. Some people might be ready after they've had a full evaluation by a pelvic physio and by their physician closer to the 10 week mark. And some may not be ready until six months that just because these guidelines are, are looking at the literature, they're still saying, you know, this is still very gray, and every person heals differently and every person is, is able to dedicate the time to preparing their body in different ways, you know, new moms, are quite busy creatures. And so, you know, doing the exercises that's required, they may not be able to do it every day like they want to. They're well-intended and, you know, they, they want to get better and they want to be ready, but they're tired and they're hungry and they've got a little person that they're now caring for. So all that's to say is that the readiness is going to be more based on what they're able to do. That is more mimicking running that we do in our evaluation and our ongoing plan of care as pelvic physical therapists and orthopedic physical therapists um, in order to ensure that they are safely returning to running and that they're not causing themselves more problems that could deter from not only their running, but also bound bladder function, sexual function, and their ability to do the things they want to do.
0: Yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, certainly there's been, you know, more research coming out, you know, really the first 12 weeks is, you know, that's the fourth trimester. That's the, you know, time that we should be taking. And and you're right, it coincides sort of with, uh, you know, what we expect to see in terms of tissue healing, um, and and just tissue remodeling, you know, um, strength training. I mean, um, I can't remember the name of the book. Um, but you know, it was suggesting that, you know, six to eight weeks of consistent exercise to gain 30% muscle mass, right? Like, so if you think, you know, and and that's like with consistent, you know, exercise, right. But, and you're right. Everybody's going to be so different. Babies are different. How much sleep you're getting is going to be different. Do you have other children in the home that you're also caring for with this baby? You know, what's your age? Like, what's your fitness status? You know, before maybe you were never a runner, but you thought, you know, I want to lose this extra baby weight. So maybe I should start running. You know, doctor gave me the green light. Um, and that just made me think of a very important thing, which is I think every woman deserves to see a pelvic health physiotherapist, yes. right? Like, you know, you're right. We sort of, you know, because it's birth and it's not sort of seen as like a medical you know, emergency or like procedure, but you're right. Like a C-section is, um, surgery and having a baby is like a life changing, right? (laughs) Like there is no, like, um, realistically speaking, there is no going back to what was before. Yeah. Um, so how do we optimize where we are in this new world, in this new role, in this new transition, and then how do we prepare ourselves, um, you know, for the running piece? So um, so I'm glad to see that there's more, um, you know, research being looked at as, you know, and it's trying to manage expectations as well, yeah. right? People, yeah. you know, we kind of have a society of like, Is there not a pill that I can just sort of take or, you know, can I do my exercise for a week and like I'm good to go? Um, And that's often really not the case. And I think we, you know, I think it's important that our messaging is like, hey, it's going to take some time. But if you are, if you do your best to be consistent and do the work, like you're going to get there and it'll be awesome. Yes. So I have a question more from, you know, uh, uh, from a pelvic health physical therapist-like side. So as a, you know, maybe there's some new pelvic floor physios who are just starting out, you know, they're going to be running into clients, asking about running, wanting to get into running. You know, when you think about readiness, you know, what are some maybe key points that you're looking at in terms of your assessment? Like, what is sort of the minimum requirement for somebody to safely return to exercise? Like, is there a certain strength of the pelvic floor that you're expecting? Um, you know, does, you know, does the transverse abdominis have the, you know, does it have to be working with the pelvic floor? Like, so, you know, without, you know, going into your full course, with just a couple of tidbits of like, just some basic tips for a physio.
1: Sure. Um, So important key factors would be assessing for optimal breathing patterns, you know, uh, ensuring, you know, there's rib cage changes, there's um, breathing patterns that may have been long held that are not conducive to um, cardiovascular endurance or life (laughs) itself. So optimizing breathing, so assessing their breathing pattern, assessing their neuromuscular control between the pelvic floor and the transverse abdominis, And then regarding the pelvic floor itself, we want to look at the speed the coordination and the endurance as well as the power and strength of the pelvic floor and not just in supine when we're measuring them in that kind of supine dorsal lithotomy position um, but also in standing and also endurance isn't just 10 seconds we're looking at being able to hold closer to a minute in a submaximal contraction so doing your regular assessment looking particularly at their coordination and control Looking for the presence of pelvic organ prolapse, and then getting them up in standing position, propping one leg up, and doing that full assessment again because they are going to look different upright against gravity. Um, because one of the, a couple of the key things that can happen that we want to be including in our plan of care is um, that they need to have very, very good speed. And we know that women that are incontinent have a delay in their ability to produce a contraction. And we also know that you know, running being an endurance sport itself, we need good endurance of those muscles. So looking at submaximal hold closer to a minute, and then also looking for the presence of pressure or visible prolapse there and looking to stabilize that with a tampon or a pestery or another removable device so that we can get them stable and get them up and moving again. Um, And when we're testing them, we're looking for those and then we want to add some dynamic and ballistic movements that mimic running. So um, get them running in place and see how they feel. Get asked for that subjective information. Um, it's pretty hard to visualize that while they're moving around as a therapist. So it's mostly relying on that subjective report. Um, and then um, looking at their balance, their their feet change so much. So it's really important as pelvic physios that we don't get locked in on the pelvis. We continue to see the whole person in front of us and give particular attention to the feet that have often experienced changes in size and neuromuscular control themselves because we can do all the good in the world in that pelvis and pelvic floor, but if those feet are unstable, it would be, I have a colleague who I adore that likens it to putting a jet engine on a paper airplane, <laughs> you know. We can't just stabilize the core and forget about the feet and forget about the hips and the knees. It's it's all important to assess, particularly regarding our runners.
0: Thank you for that. I know that that's certainly going to be a nice little like, you know, nice little tidbits to get people to start thinking about uh, that when they're doing their assessments, especially as it relates to the question of running. Now, as a runner, um, and again, this doesn't necessarily mean uh, postpartum, this could be men, women, children, you know, teenagers, you know, um, across the board. Are there specific, are, what are some signs um, or some symptoms that people need to keep an eye out for um, that might indicate that running right now is not you know, is, they're just not ready, or it's not an appropriate exercise right, right now. So what are some things that might prompt somebody to say, hey, I probably should see a physiotherapist about this?
1: Sure. The biggie, uh, pain. Uh, so pain in the low back and pelvic girdle, um, pubic symphysis area, and that's men and women, um, generally in the pelvic girdle or hips themselves, you know, the pelvic floor muscles, share a fascial ball with the hip musculature, um, and I'm a big, big advocate for if a patient does come up with deep gluteal or lateral hip pain and in an orthopedic setting, and they're not resolving, that they should get assessed by a pelvic physio, um, and then additionally, um, it's not an absolute contraindication, but if you're leaking urine um, or feces during a run, there's we, we want to get that fixed. Um, And and it may not mean that we take it away all the way, but we can look at strengthening and stabilizing the urethra and the bladder in a way and also looking at gait dynamics that may be contributing to that leaking um, or inability to contract the pelvic floor muscles while you're running um, that we can help. And so that would be a sign that it's time to get something done about this. And again, it doesn't mean we're gonna go and take it away, but we're gonna definitely work with you to get that feeling better. Um, And then I would also say lingering orthopedic type injuries like chronic IT band friction syndrome, chronic, you know, knee pain that just doesn't seem to be going away with typical orthopedic style approaches, you know, you're strengthening those quads, you're strengthening the glutes, you're doing the band walks, all of those things, and it's just not resolving can indicate that there's some pelvic floor dysfunction and also probably a need for some gait retraining that can go hand in hand to help resolve what what feels like or seems like a knee issue or a a hip issue.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I would probably add to that, um, you know, specifically for women, certainly postpartum would be, you know, a sense of uh, heaviness or pressure. Like, that feeling of like something's coming down or wants to fall you know fall out um you know because that could potentially be a sign of prolapse as well right yes um so i think that's that's helpful so anybody who might be experiencing those symptoms right like Rather than sort of being like, oh, I haven't run for a while or, you know, well, you know, everybody leaks after a baby kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I think the important messaging um, that I always like to get out is there are solutions um, available and, uh, you know, seeking out somebody who's trained is always an appropriate thing to do. Um, Okay, so can... Let's say you have a good, strong, you know, pelvic floor, no supposed pelvic floor issues. Can running cause pelvic floor dysfunction? In some cases, yes.
1: Poor running gait and running mechanics could drive possible pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, Namely, thinking about what I call the crumple, (laughs) which is a position where the pelvis drops, the knee swings in towards the midline and the foot collapses. So for Vizio, we have a a relative pelvic adduction, knee valgus, pronation of the foot, to a regular person that would be kind of this position like your knee is swinging in towards the other knee and your body is succumbing to gravity. (laughs) So this posture over and over and over again, on time on your feet, can contribute to elongation and changes in the pelvic floor. Whereas once it was optimized and and really functioning well, um, if you have poor running gait, that can lead to issues. Also um, fatigue. So it could be that, you know, the first, 10, 15 minutes of your run are really, really strong and you're pushing into a new distance. And all with that fatigue, we get this degradation of running form and that can change um, how you run and how you are uh, placing your foot down and stacking your body on top of that that can lead to changes in the pelvic floor.
0: Uh, I remembered the question I wanted to ask. Okay, so specifically to postpartum, uh, women, um, let's say pelvic floor strength is good. Endurance is good. Speed's good. Technique is good. Everything's great. Mm-hmm. Um, from an assessment piece, but they have a prolapse. Um, should they be using a sub- external support? Like pe- again, everything else is looking great. You know, prolapse is present. Like can running make it worse Despite pelvic floor and orthopedic assessment being fantastic, like do should we be splinting? I, don't, I actually don't know the answer to this.
1: Sure, yeah, it's a very valuable question, and my answer is yes. Um, the impact of that running is still causing ch- you know strain on the tendons and ligaments supporting the organs themselves and the muscles and tendons. So if we have really good strength and we're still seeing prolapse. Um, It can be indicative of some of those more static constraints being the tendons and the ligaments. Um, and we don't want to worsen that with the impact of running, again, upwards of two and a half times the body weight. So I would advocate for stabilizing, and that is
0: mirrored in the um, guidelines as well even for like a grade one, cause you wouldn't necessarily see, like you might see that there's some level of prolapse present, but you know, sure. when they bear down, you know, it's not coming to the opening, mm-hmm. um, but you know, there's, there's some presence there. Would you also, would it be wise to stabilize, like stabilize at that point? Or are we talking about grade, you know, two, three, Uh, Certainly four, certainly three and four, but you know, I'm wondering about that one and two, grade one or two prolapse
1: absolutely so in those minor grades I would then focus more on the subjective report of the patient okay. um so you know if I if we've assessed them in standing and then we um, they go out for a run and come back to clinic we can ask them how it felt if they're feeling a sensation of pressure kick in whether it's immediately or further down the road with fatigue then I'd advocate at that point for maybe just a tampon or a poison press or one of those other just removable devices to see how they feel mm-hmm. um, and kind of go from there because you know grade one not necessarily something we need to be sending them in for a pessary fitting, grade two, maybe, and in some cases, they feel so much better that it is so worth it to get them stabilized, because even though it doesn't look very minor, we wonder what they look like under fatigue, you know, 10-15 minutes into their run, what's the nature of the pelvic floor at that point, especially when they're new, returning to run, so I would base it at that point on patient patient report, and yeah. then try something that's like a low-risk, removable-style device.
0: Okay. So basically, so if they were asymptomatic, one or two, um, you know, you would kind of assess and sort of see how it goes, subjective reporting, maybe, you know, testing out with, like you said, a tampon. But if they are symptomatic, then certainly they really should um, provide that support because it's, it's not, and, I, and so maybe you can explain to somebody Like, you know, so if I'm saying to a client, I think you should support, you know, how would you explain to them why that would be needed?
1: Sure. Yeah. Without overly instilling fear in them, you know, we can advise them it is possible for this condition to worsen. It can worsen due to your activity. It can worsen with age, with changes in hormones and all of those things, which would be out of their control. But this is something that we can control. You know, you want to run, you have this, there is a risk. And, and by continuing to run and I've been, you know, I always reinforce with, I'm a runner too. I understand. And I have a prolapse and I support it. Um, and I do my exercises. Um, but you know, we, we just explained to them that, you know, it is a possibility. This can get worse. There are other lifestyle parts of being a person that, that can contribute to this getting worse anyway. So let's do everything that we can to prevent that from happening in the short term.
0: For sure, for sure. And what we're talking about is like ligaments, endopelvic fascia, which, you know, isn't the same as a muscular tissue, right? Like there are some contractile components to those tissues, but just squeezing the muscles may not be enough to really support the ligaments that are holding your bladder, your uterus, and or rectum in place, right? So those external devices are going to ensure that those organs aren't pulling, you know, on those structures. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, now I, I, and I'm totally curious and this is totally more from a personal question. So I, I like I said, I'm not a runner. Um, I have a to. two Ladder prolapse, okay? Asymptomatic doesn't bother me. I don't feel pressure, heaviness, et cetera. Um, when I, so, but part of my warm up, so I, I do a high contact sport, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And so when I was postpartum, my goal was like, I just need to be able to get through the warm up. Without peeing my pants, um, and, and then be able to do the rest of you know what I have to do. Like people are trying to choke me and break my arm, I can't think about my bladder. I have to think about what I'm doing. So yes. I, I so I trained. I trained. You know, gradually I trained jumping and hopping, and eventually successfully I can do jujitsu and not pee myself. Um, but part of it is like a, we do a running warm up. It's not very long. It's you know less than five minutes of running Um, you know if you're doing short stints and uh, you know it's not sprinting really it's just a light jog I do contract my pelvic floor sub uh, sub submaximal and I kind of hold it sort of the entire time that I am in that run would it still be advisable to support or because it's sort of a short term run if I'm asymptomatic may not be worthwhile
1: if you're asymptomatic so if you're not leaking and you're not feeling a troublesome sense of pressure i would say probably don't need to stabilize it at this point um one thing is is that it's not sustainable to be cognitively thinking about that Submaximal pelvic floor muscle contraction. And so, um, because with running, we need the pelvic floor to oscillate up and down, almost like a trampoline mm-hmm. uh, with mm-hmm. the weight of the bladder and the organs. Um, we know that there's this, reflexive response right prior to foot strike in runners where the pelvic floor muscle contracts and we we want that to happen but it also needs to come back down and that's Mm -hmm. part of helping with attenuation of the the weight um during foot strike. so i would say um next time you go to do it let go of that cognitive submaximal contraction and see what happens because if you leak stabilize.
0: (laughs) No, I don't. I don't. And you know, when I say submaximal, I mean like 10%. Mm. Like I just, and I, and I focus it predominantly to kind of the urethral, you know, I'm not gripping through my butt. I'm gripping through the, not gripping, sorry, I shouldn't even say gripping, but I'm (laughs) lightly and very gently applying a little bit of a, just, you know, just an awareness yeah you know like just a tiny little bit of support now when you say cognitive awareness i've practiced this so much that i do you know when we talk about motor learning principles i am definitely not in the cognitive phase i don't have to think about it i just and i just know yeah and i and i'm maybe i it's because i'm acutely aware of what's happening down there being pelvic floor physio i mean I, i think about this stuff all the time anyway so this is obviously not the norm
1: right. for people,
0: right? Um, but I'm aware of what I feel there. And if I feel like, oh, I feel like need a little extra support, then that's when I kind of give it the 10, you know, sort of the 10%. Sure. I might hold it for a minute or two, then let it go, see how it goes. Um, I just pay attention. Yeah, absolutely. maybe Maybe hyper-focused attention. Yeah. <laughs> but that's 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 a whole other discussion but uh no i was just i was curious like for those people who you know are just doing like a light warm up asymptomatic like running's not their thing but you know part of the warm up is a light jog like you know sure. should they be kind of you know really hyper focusing on it um or are they okay as long as they're asymptomatic so that was a helpful answer Good. <laughs> total <laughs> tangent total tangent okay um what I okay so, what are are there any specific techniques um, that you know runners should be paying attention to? Like, is there anything that requires some of their cognitive attention toward running, especially like when they're first starting out, or should they just, you know, run?
1: Sure. Yeah, it's a, it's it's another really good question. Um, and certainly being under the care of a pelvic physio would be um, primary line of defense. But in terms of gait characteristics, there's a few key gait characteristics that a, a runner should always be aware of, like regardless of their um, state, but that is particularly seen to change after postpartum. Um, and that would be just overall coordination and strength of their of their core and their pelvis so that when they run they are not succumbing to gravity like I just described so um what I'm describing is kind of a um, an active uh controlled state in running and we can achieve that with strength of the hips strength of the pelvic floor strength of the core the foot so that when they're running, they're running strong, In, in for lack of a better word. Um, but this is going to help ensure that they are not falling into that pattern because it's really possible to, to run in that way over and over again until breakdown happens. Um, and it can be really hard to correct in that point. So um, making sure that they're doing due diligence with their gluteal core pelvic floor strength and foot strength so that they're running in an activated state. Um, and then two other key characteristics of gait to be mindful of is avoiding overstriding. Um, so sometimes when we go to run after giving birth, our body feels so foreign to us that we are, you know, seeking out, trying to go faster by elongating our stride and coming down really hard on the heel. That's, um, that's a gait characteristic that can cause extensive amounts of different types of injuries. <laughs> Too many to count. Um, but we can avoid that by shortening the stride length, especially when we're running slower. And a lot of postpartum women do this instinctively because they feel unstable so they'll shorten their stride length, but we just want to make sure that we're not landing with the foot too far in front with an elongated leg. The leg should still be bent and placed relatively close to our body, especially if we're running slow. And then the final thing is avoiding bob. So avoiding going up and down too much when we're running. Um, there's a couple of things that people can do to help stabilize their, their run, and that would be to use their eye gaze of finding a point, you know, 100 yards, 200 yards in front, find a stop sign and, and keep it fixed in your gaze as you're running to help stabilize yourself. Um, And that avoids a lot of excess up and down motion that is also associated with injury. So running in an activated state by staying strong, avoiding overstriding, and avoiding that bob, Bounce.
0: Yeah. When I think of that, um, I think it was one of Julie Weeb's courses. Um, She talks about, like, pretending like you're running into gale force wind. Oh, I like it. So that you're you're kind of more leaned forward, and so you're so you're so rather than bouncing up and down, because she definitely talks about that in um, uh, in her course. She's like, think about running into the wind, so that your your body is kind of moving forward, and you're kind of moving horizontal versus vertical.
1: Sure.
0: So uh, that's the way I talk about it. Um, now you were talking about when the knees come inward. Um, a word that, uh, or or maybe a less technical word that I'm thinking about is almost like knee knocking. Like the knees are kind of coming in close where they're about where if, if your knees feel like they're getting really close and like you might, you know, actually hit your own knee, that's what you're kind of talking about when you're saying that crumpling type of posture, um, where the hips kind of come inward and then the knees sort of bend. I imagine that can't be good for the meniscus.
1: Not good for the meniscus, not good for the IT band, not good for the hip, <laughs> not good for anybody, anywhere. Um, and it is driven by the hip. Um, it, okay. is, it is driven by control of the hip rotators, uh, the hip abductors, all of those. Okay.
0: Um, okay, so we, we've, we've talked about, you know, obviously pelvic floor strength. Um, you know, sometimes uh, the pelvic floor is tight, Right. Yep. Sometimes we have a tightness problem um, versus like a, a strength endurance issue. Um, so I'm kind of wondering, like, if somebody's experiencing pelvic pain um, or has pain, they you know they've been assessed, they have tightness. What are what are things that they should be focusing on, and are there any tools that they could be using, um, you know, to rehabilitate back to running?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um muscles can be tight as a result of different types of muscular guarding sometimes after a history of trauma or abuse sexual or otherwise. Um sometimes after surgery, definitely in the presence of things like endometriosis. Um, different bowel diseases, um, those can all cause kind of this clenching notion of uh, the pelvic floor muscles being overworked and underpaid, which can drive pain. They can have little tender points or trigger points in them. Um, Sex can be painful. Running can be painful. It can change your running gait. Um, Sitting can be painful. Um, And so... There, there are definitely tools out there. I created a wand um, that's helpful for internal via the vagina or the rectum tender point release. Um, and so that is something that people can use either under the guidance of a pelvic physiotherapist or if there isn't one available, I have guides written on our website as well to help them understand how to safely maneuver the device. Um, One thing that I tell everyone is that whether you're using a finger or a wand or another device, we're never pushing any harder than we would use to check a tomato for ripeness. So I call it tomato touch. So just the same way as in a supermarket, you're not going to crush your thumb through the tomato. You're going to gently touch it and see if it's firm and see if it's squishy. Um, That's the same way you're going to use the wand. And um, in that way you can safely do some myofascial release. And that's going to be coupled with retraining your, brain, how to relax the pelvic floor muscles, which is always more involved than just saying relax. Um, something in pelvic physiotherapy we call a drop or a bulge or a relaxation training. And then there are definitely stretches that can be done to help open the hips and the pelvic floor, like happy baby. A lot of different yoga poses are really good for that. Um, additionally, there are dilators. I, I created a line of dilators as well for people to work on elasticity and extension extension of the vaginal tissue. Um, a lot of times after birth, there's scarring, sometimes um, episiotomy scars that make the vaginal opening itself very, very painful that can lead to that gripping and uh, overactivity of the pelvic floor muscles. Dilators are just kind of a long tube. Um, mine are made with medical grade silicone that can be used to really gently, again, tomato touch retrain the pelvic floor muscles, retrain the tissue to have better mobility in service of pain-free penetration, whether it's with a tampon or having a medical exam or with sex.
0: Thank you. Um, Yeah, all great, you know, tools uh, uh, coupled with, you know, as you said, um, retraining the brain to, um, you know, reverse Kegel. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the term, you know, uh, that I tend to, I'm like, it's the opposite of a Kegel. Don't pull <laughs> it in, relax it yeah. down and out. Um, um, so, y- y- you know, it's a combination of stretches and positions. Uh, and then of course, tools that can help you reach if you have a hard time reaching where you need to yeah. go. Um, you know, just so you know, there are the tools available. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, you know, because there maybe other therapists listening that are like, wow, I didn't realize that like she's talking about this gate thing and yeah. you know, looking at the ankle and, you know, maybe kind of like a little scary and intimidating because they're probably thinking if somebody comes in and they're a runner and they want to know, and like, I don't really know that much. Where can people, you know, access your, because you said you had a two day, two day yes. course. Yeah. Two day two course. Day course. Tell, yeah. tell us more
1: about that. Absolutely. So um, in its original format, it is a live, live course that um, I, I travel all over to teach. We are currently filming during a global pandemic, and I have been able to successfully transition it to a live, but via Zoom format for the time being. So currently, um, you can register for the course. Um, I'm teaching it intermittently, um, either off of my website, amandaolsondpt.com, or via the American Physical Therapy Association's Academy of Public Health. I host it both places. And then, so exciting, um, with my Canadian physio friends, um, I do a, a course hosted through Formaciones in Toronto and Ontario. I was scheduled to go- come in November of 2020. We're not sure if that's gonna happen <laughs> um, but uh, as it stands I, I, it is possible that I'll be coming in and out of Canada but um, currently y- you can take the course live so you can ask questions live um, via Zoom.
0: Okay, amazing. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. So so for the Canadians, um, you know, if they so if they want to do the online course, they can access it directly off your website. Yes,
1: absolutely. Yep. And, um, and through the American Physical Therapy Association as well. So um, sometimes I host it either through myself or through them, just depending on um, kind of what the schedule looks like. And something really amazing. I mean, I've had physios from all over the world logging in to, to join the course. And it's been really exceptional. It's been a lot of fun. It's been amazing getting to connect, connect to people that wouldn't have flown into South Carolina or California where I was teaching. So it's, you know, out of, out of great, uh, challenge has come some some really cool things and um, you know I use a lot of gate videos so we're able to do that and then I just leave the labs together we do them all together as a group uh, via zoom so it's been a lot of fun
0: amazing uh, you know I, I feel uh, so what I've seen you know just throughout the physiotherapy community whether it's pelvic floor or otherwise um, we're quite resilient We're a resilient, (laughs) um, you know, profession, and we will pivot very quickly, um, and that includes pivoting to, um, you know, distance learning, and you're right, it it does create an opportunity to connect with uh, therapists uh, from outside of the country, um, and uh, also continues to give us the opportunity to uh, learn, so I think that's super amazing. Um, Okay, now for the... Runners. So let's say there's somebody, you know, somebody listening, they're a runner, they're like, hey, I, you know, love what you're talking about and sound, you sound really knowledgeable and I would really love to, um, you know, access some more information. You know, do you have things available for runners, like resources that they can sort of look at and where can they find that?
1: Absolutely. Um, the biggest library is on my company website, IntimateRose.com. If you go under there, there's guides and resources. I have over 100 different videos and blog articles on basically any topic under the sun regarding pelvic health, and then definitely articles specific to running, videos that give some running exercises joined with pelvic floor, um, both for overactive and underactive pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, So that is available at IntimateRose.com. And then you can find a little bit more tailored information as well on my personal website, AmandaOlsonDPT.com.
0: Amazing. And the tools that you were talking about, like the dilators and the wands and all sorts of other pelvic health related tools, they can find that also on Intimate Rose.
1: Yes, IntimateRose.com.
0: Amazing. And of course, okay. for our listeners who may not be, you know, might be in the car or something and can't write those things down, do not stress yourselves those links will be in the show notes Um, so when you go to the description of the episode you'll see all the contact information available there um, so that it's an easy one click away to access wonderful information and that includes links um, for therapists looking for your courses as well so that will all be in the show notes. Um, Amanda I want to really thank you for your time to come and share this really um, important information. Uh, I know that I've taken a lot out of it. Uh, hopefully others have uh, taken, uh, taken good information out of it. So I, I really do wanna thank you for, um, for sharing with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And of course we want to always thank our listeners. So here's your, like, here's the call to action. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do because you don't want to miss out on these super cool and awesome topics. Of course, every week is something different. Um, and then for the runners that may be listening or the other pelvic floor physios, um, that are even ortho physios, anybody who's listening that thinks, um, their colleagues might be interested, or maybe you have a client who's a runner and needs some additional information, please feel free to share out this episode, um, cause you don't know who it might help. Uh, and on that note, we thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Take care.